0: welcome to episode 299 of the design details podcast no it's 298 you you jumper you why did i th- i'm literally looking at 298 but i read yeah. 299
1: uh, welcome to episode 473 <laughs> <laughs> from the future episode 298 of the design details podcast i'm brian Levin, and i'm marshall black welcome back to another week i apologize if my voice sounds i'm just gonna say it right off the bat i'm sorry if my voice sounds bad i've been sick but maybe it's a little bit lower and a little bit more a little bit more baritone so a little more sultry yeah so. all you asmr people
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: this one's for you okay yeah. okay stay tuned enjoy
0: stay tuned we've got a fun episode coming up although sadly, no longer together in New York. You're back in San Francisco. Uh,
1: It was nice to see your apartment. So now I have a visual, a mental image of what uh, your environment is like, what I'm talking to you. Yeah, you can see me in my corner. In my mind's eye. Uh, Ah, that's nice.
0: Well, we've got a good episode coming up. We've got some listener questions. We've got some follow up. We've got uh, some extra cool things this week to talk
1: about. Well, not extra cool. My, mine are extra cool. I <laughs> know, speak for yourself, but mine are... Actually, no, mine aren't extra cool. I just have uh, extra cool things. Oh. Like, m- more than normal cool more things. More than one cool thing coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah.
0: Before we get into the show, want to call out Dribble's upcoming design conference happening June 6, 2019 at the Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom. It's going to be more than 25 talks, workshops and intimate conversations that you can choose from it's going to be a day for inspiration learning and career growth dribble has lined up presentations by some of the best and brightest designers in the industry including john contino joshua davis Kat noon jen and amy hood alice lee david carson kelly anderson paul budnitz Matt D. Smith, and so many more. That's so many people. That's so many more, and it's barely scratching the surface. If you go look at the lineup, it's ridiculous. And attendees can expect all that, plus designer showcases. There's going to be live drawing workshops, discussion panels, case studies, fireside chats, personal stories, each in an intimate, limited seat setting for a meaningful conference experience. Bring it down low. Get down low to our fireside chat (laughs) conversation level. This is really exciting. If you're in New York or in the East Coast and can make the trip, you should come hang out with the Dribbble crew and all these amazing designers. That's June 6, 2019, the Dribbble Hangout Conference, and we've got a deal for you today. If you want to go, we're going to save you $100. $100? 100 bones if you use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS. If you use that code before May 31st, that's just two days from now on Friday, you can save $100. Again, that promo code is DESIGNDETAILS. The URL is dribble.com slash hangtimes, plural, slash 2019, or just go to dribble.com. They've got a big banner at the top linking you to details, and then just use that promo code, design details. We also have a special deal. The dribble team has been kind enough to give us a free ticket, a single free ticket, and we want to pass that along to somebody out there who cannot afford to go to the conference, whether you are a student or just can't quite sing, swing the, the full ticket price, even with that $100 discount code. We want to hook you up. So we've tweeted last week some details about this. Our Twitter is designdetailsfm. Basically, just DM us with something that you're excited about learning at the conference. And on Friday, May 31st, we're going to pick one person to have that free ticket. So could be you. So free ticket opportunity, $100 off. Uh, if you can afford it, we're going to save you $100. Otherwise, be sure to check out dribble.com slash slash 2019 check out that lineup and get yourself signed up hangtimes slash 2019 slash hangtimes slash 2019 just go to dribble.com they've got you covered thanks dribble thanks dribble all right marshall follow-up last week was fun because i think it was a refreshing episode for people and also maybe because we were in person and there was a different chemistry i don't know different vibe Yeah. yeah i don't
1: know maybe i don't know i think the subject was pretty good We talked about stuff we don't usually talk about. Yeah, and some people tweeted at us. You want to read those? Sure, I shall. So Jason June? Jason Jun? I'm going to say Jason June. Sorry, Jason, I fucked up your name. It was inevitable. Uh, He says, It's kind of comforting to know that Brian and Marshall struggle with the same issues I deal with every day, but also feeling a bit hopeless that these issues are just unavoidable everywhere. Anyway, it was my favorite episode this year, <laughs> which is a great, you know. Thank you, thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. My Sorry, work I fucked is impressive. Anyways, yeah, I mean, and that that is kind of like the sad reality. Potentially, is like. Ah, I'm not alone in dealing with these things. Oh, no, everyone's dealing with these things. No yeah. one's figured it out yet. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say no one's figured it out yet. Maybe we're just, we're all dumb together, you and I, Jason. And other, someone else has figured it out and they just haven't told us yet. But if we do find it out, we'll be sure to let you know. Yeah, eagerly waiting on the, uh, the solutions to all of our problems. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, please. Design details
0: FM. just hit us up on Twitter. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Jason Rutherford, also another Jason, says, guys, the latest episode of design details was superb thank you Jason he says the discussion around North Star was so relevant for me and is something I'm toying with for my current product thank you for your views this is great to share with my peers so thank you Jason for listening and sharing with your peers we appreciate that <laughs> yeah
1: and lastly oh boy Sanketh 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 I'm gonna say Sanketh sorry again Sanketh says Really love the YouTube channel slash video recommendations that Marshall does on design details. Is there a place where it's all collated in one place? No, but that's a really good suggestion and that's something I'm going to do. So uh, when we share cool things at the end of this episode, I will talk more about that and check show notes for links. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Good. uh, Good idea.
0: Just a sidebar idea on that. Maybe there should be like a cool things directory like mm. that could be its own mini site you know yeah someone with coding experience on, if on only the w- someone knew how to make a website yeah Ugh, that mm. would be so should do that right now
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> good idea yeah so thanks Sanka. much appreciated and uh great feedback from this last week so yeah uh, hopefully you'll like this episode just as much yeah we've got listener
0: questions this week marshall i'll hit you with the first one and uh we've got two i think the first one will maybe be a little bit quicker This one was sent to me via email, therefore we will keep it anonymous. So John Doe says, During the Figma redesign review episode, you and Marshall explicitly said, This is a visual refresh, not a user experience change. I've been personally wondering how you can properly separate the two. My specific example is with the alignment buttons panel in Figma. Before the redesign, you could select the different options with one click. Now, a bunch of these options are hidden under a drop-down menu. While the visual refresh removed clutter from the interface, it also completely changed the interaction experience. So, my question is, what's the line between visual and interaction? So, Marshall, talk to me. Visual redesign and then redesign, I guess, would be.
1: Yeah, okay. So anonymous, you're not wrong. This was a visual redesign. Well, we call it, first off, we called it that because I think that was what the name of the blog title was. Um, so uh, we we're using their terminology. But yeah, you're totally right. Um, it's I think it's impossible to do a visual redesign without having some sort of user uh, experience implications based on that, right? But I think it, to compare it, I would say if you're staying within the same visual design system and you haven't uh, changed the way you treat buttons or whatever, you just change how the buttons are laid out, that would just be a a user experience update that wouldn't affect the visual. But I think if you do visual, you almost certainly will do the experience stuff on, like, just because that's what will happen. You can't avoid it. I don't know. Do you agree? It seems like a visual
0: redesign is the more dangerous of the two versus even just rearranging an existing user interface with the same patterns because a visual refresh, not only is it new visuals, new iconography, new style of dropdowns and buttons, like all these visual elements get changed, but if the position and organization of those things also changes then you're relearning two things at once versus just remaining in the same design system and rearranging things?
1: Well, even if you don't rearrange things, a visual redesign can change the user experience. So for example, if you have a button that had a poor way of letting the user know that it was clickable and presented a drop-down menu or something like that and then your visual refresh puts a little carrot next to it and says you know that that implies to the user hey you can click this and you'll get a drop down that improves the user experience and it's just a visual refresh you know what i'm saying like that's a stupid example but
0: no that's a perfect example and i think the point there's it's really hard to Separate, Maybe even impossible to separate visuals from user experience because the visuals inform way too much about how somebody experiences a thing like the is it accessible is the contrast right is the type large enough to read like everything that is visual in describing those things affects the way that somebody will be able to to use the product
1: i mean yeah basically to to get a little potty humor with it it's it's kind of like you know you can pee without pooping but you can't poop without peeing right like you can get one without the other but uh, the other has to come along with you know what i mean marshall i uh, know sorry to bring the podcast down into the gutter but uh it's very
0: similar oh my you god can't... oh my god the podcast authorities are are calling me right now they said we're we're now officially rated lowbrow oh, oh no, no. We have to put a flag on our podcast. We have to, yeah, we have to tag it and categorize it. I didn't even use bad words. Yeah, but you said poop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you can't do one without the other sometimes. So I guess
0: to clarify, the the real answer to the question is, when we said it's a visual refresh, not a user experience change, we said it wrong. (laughs) Uh, This is mostly a correction. But I think we are also trying to capture the spirit of Figma's blog post, which emphasized the fact that it was mainly, primarily a visual change, Although there were side effects of that, where and that's where people actually got upset about the change. It seemed people were less upset about oh, there's more white space and different icons, and more about like yeah, things are now hidden behind drop downs that weren't previously. Before certain things have been moved or or given affordances that they exist in places that they don't. Things like that; those are definitely problems. So yeah,
1: they pooped a little bit, but they also peed.
0: Yeah, one thing I want to call out though about specifically about that Figma episode that we recorded is i don't actually think that we did a
1: great job of critiquing the change i agree i think we fell short for sure i
0: think it was because we basically did it the day of and
1: i think my reason is i don't use it so i'm not the best person to.
0: yeah well we recorded it the day of the redesign you don't use it i'd used it for an hour and like yeah we didn't really put in the work to formulate good thoughts there so to everyone who's listening like we're gonna try and be better about that especially me like if i'm using the product that we're critiquing i need to be a little more thoughtful about you know making sure i understand the real problem so uh,
1: disgusting
0: yeah that's my bad i'll I'll take the heat (laughs) for that one marshall
1: but yes anonymous you are correct it's hard to draw a line but i'd say it's easier to draw a line from just the user experience change than it is to say you can do visuals without any experience change
0: yep Cool. Uh, We've got a second listener question. This one's a little bit more complex, Marshall. So we're going to have to dig deep here. Okay. So there's a little bit of context for this one. I've been going back and forth via direct message. And so I'll keep this one anonymous as well, since it is a direct message. But a person has been DMing me, and they are an instructor at a design boot camp. It's a 12 week course where the goal is to teach people who are new to design how to be designers. And I'm assuming, you know, help them get jobs as designers and so we've been talking about this course and and a few questions have come up that basically can be summed up at the very end as this if you had only 12 weeks to spend with somebody brand new to design what would you have them do what would you have them focus on and what would you intentionally not teach and defer to their first manager to teach them in the real world yeah so pretty loaded uh, question here uh, this is gonna be
1: it Maybe if it's helpful,
0: bit. I can like call out a specific a couple specific problem areas
1: i mean yeah we we talked about this ahead of time, so i have a I have a spiel that I would give, so you give your spiel first,
0: yeah, so a couple of the problem areas that we discussed beforehand are do you go for depth versus breadth, like do you try and get somebody to design lots of things, like a huge volume, even if each individual thing is relatively shallow, or do you try and have people learn how to design one thing really well? and their portfolio is is perhaps much more limited. So that's one problem area. A second problem area is how do you think about whether or not to teach like specific UI pattern examples? For example, is it even worth teaching like here is the human interface guidelines, here is material guidelines. Is it worth teaching a spec where that spec is perhaps built on principles but this like the resulting visuals or artifacts of that spec might change over time? So is it worth teaching that? But those are just a couple problem areas that maybe aren't exactly easy answers. But anyways, so let's circle back around. You have 12 weeks to spend with somebody brand new to design. Marshall,
1: hit me with your spiel. This is exciting. This is an exciting question to think about because I don't have to do the work. I just have to th- think about what I would do. <laughs> you don't I... have to teach it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you were president, what would you do? Oh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, teaching is hard. I-, I taught back in Chicago for a few years and it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig. But hypothetically, like just the theoretical class that I would be teaching, uh, that's exciting. So here's what I would do. I would probably split the class up into like three sections. I would spend the first like three or four weeks teaching fundamentals. And this is assuming they don't have like any knowledge coming in. So fundamentals, like usage of space, including layout and grids and key lines and baselines and all all that kind of stuff padding and margins and why you do things like i would teach the why first regardless of whether they're designers or engineers like anybody who's going to be looking at mocks and trying to figure out why they are the way they are like either recreating them themselves or or implementing them i think an understanding of the skeleton and why the skeleton is laid out the way it is is like crucial so I'd spend time on that also color and typography and relationships between different components and common usage patterns. And that's where I would introduce like all of the Higgs that are available, probably just material and iOS HIG or, or Apple's HIG. iOS and Mac would be interesting. Desktop versus mobile would be an interesting thing to to focus on for a week. But yeah, then, and and potentially like comparing between the two, like, okay, here's a pattern that is the the same pattern across both iOS and Android, but why are they different? Because, you know, there's slight differences. And what do we think the differences are? And how does that relate to the larger scheme? Right? So I take them through all that fundamental stuff. And once they have a good foundation to build upon, I'd be like, okay, here's a design exercise. I want you to design an app. And you have, say, three weeks, maybe we spend four weeks on that first chunk, and then here's three weeks, and I want you to design an app using everything that I've taught you to solve this problem, but do it all on your own, don't do any research, don't do any of that stuff, just like solve it the way you think it would be best. Like you're not allowed to do research. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe some, maybe some, but it's like, solve it for yourself, right? Solve this problem the way you would want it to be solved, right? So at the end of this, when they have their perfect, what they think is their perfect version of this product, I would say, okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to take this to some some uh, users and have them be study participants and test the thing that you've done. And we're going to create a, a, a research study and all the questions and everything. And we're going to either have them conduct the research study or, you know, have them conduct another student's research study for them. So it's like, I didn't work on this. You're not going to offend me if you say things about it, whatever, which is important in a study to have that ability for the participant to know, like, I'm not going to offend this person, they didn't work on it, I can be completely honest with my feedback. And I want them so after they've made this thing they think is perfect, put it through the crucible of user testing, and come out the other side and see all of the things that they fucked up on, because inevitably, they will have fucked up on a lot of stuff we all do. And then start the iteration process. And then okay, now, you need to do some research into this, maybe create some personas and teach that whole aspect of things. And then so by the end of the course, they have one project, which might not be the greatest thing, but they've been taken through the whole journey of like, you think you know best, but you don't. And here's, here's the tools you need to find the right answers so that when, you, when they leave, they don't have a whole lot of things for their portfolio, but they have all the tools necessary to create more things for the portfolio, if that makes sense. That's how I would do it. Yeah. But I'm not actually doing it. So maybe that's a terrible idea and it would be terrible in, in practice. But what would you do, Brian? Oh, I don't have anything
0: quite as as thought through as that. I think I, I would certainly start in the same way. Fundamentals, like let's talk about type and layout and cover some of the principles of the way people interface with digital tools. Like talk about why touchscreens are different than desktop screens with mouse inputs and keyboard inputs like why are these things different um those would be like i guess fundamentally kind of things like how people interact with technology and then type color and layout how those afford those i think a couple segments i would probably add to your fundamentals would be like a primer on accessibility oh yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah, i glossed over that part but yeah this would include i think
0: yours would you had yours baked into like oh when we're talking about color, we'll talk about like readable text on a screen. Exactly. Yeah. Contrast and yeah. See benefit of the doubt. I I believed you had it in there. Thanks, buddy. But specifically, yeah, like sections on accessibility, especially with mobile devices, I would probably think I'm not totally sure here. If I were working with a product designer, I would probably want to spend some time talking about the differences in operating systems and platforms. I think it's, that's dangerously getting into the weeds a little bit, but like let's talk about specifically iOS versus Android versus Mac OS versus Windows versus web browser and get a primer on like the differences and similarities patterns of use considerations when designing for those those products yep and I think the reason for me to say that is like a, I think it's useful for product designers to have cross-platform consideration whenever they're building features so just having a primer like oh yeah there's this thing about Android that I learned at some point like like maybe you just remember oh Android and material has the concept of of, of shadows and paper as metaphor for depth and z index and iOS is like sheets of translucent glass okay like this is how i can just quickly mock up those differences or or quickly be able to jump into the reference material from the specs uh like making that process faster instead of feeling like instead of only building expertise in one like i think you could imagine a design curriculum that has you building websites and that's probably not adequate for today's product designers or only building iphone apps where that's probably not adequate so yeah other than that yeah i don't know what i would do with those like second and third chunks if we're staying with those chunks like is it more useful to skip the part where you basically prove that they don't know what they're doing like i get why it's valuable for them to learn that lesson but could you just tell them that they're going to be wrong and skip that and have an extra iteration cycle
1: no cuz i think it's important for them to like apply all the stuff that they've learned right from there and i think that's its own teaching thing up until then like as as they're working on all the corners of the product that they're building or or designing. You can step in and be like, mm, "Is that contrast ratio high enough? Or mm, have you thought about this key color properly? Or this text size is too small. I don't think that's going to be legible, right? Or have you thought about how this thing scales, etc., right? Does that make sense?" Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it gives you an opportunity to kind of step in and and give them feedback, and also let their imagination run wild, right? Like it's an opportunity to let them go a little bit crazy, because eventually you're going to have to pull them back to reality. But like, let them go crazy and kind of see and and maybe some of those things that they went crazy on actually work in testing, right? When you put them through that crucible, like some of those things might survive, right? Which is a great thing to learn as well. Not just when you do things wrong, but when you do things right, you can learn from both. So I think it would be good. I, I wish I would have had that, right? And I did have that. It just happened to be, you know, <laughs> it, on the job with higher stakes.
0: Yeah, I, I'm trying to think this through. I mean, you know, I've never taught, you've taught, and it's going to be harder in practice than for us to read it out loud on a podcast, but that seems like a sensible outline. I'll be curious, so this person who wrote in and, and DM'd me these questions, hopefully, is listening and will follow up with you know, like, oh, we actually tried that and it didn't work. Like, I would love to know if they found that certain of these things for sure didn't work and, and why. And then we yeah, can take, learn, you take know. take
1: our advice yeah, and make our, make our suggestions real and let us know how they turned out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And hopefully we learn things like, oh, shit, if you teach people in this way, it actually doesn't work because new students, you know, haven't considered X, Y, or Z. That would be interesting to find out.
1: Uh, One part I left out too that I should mention is like, it shouldn't just be one round of research, right? You should do like multiple iterations. So like, like by the end of the course, hopefully they have a product that they feel very confident will be successful or at least like usable by the average person because they've learned they've had to cut things out and add things in and change stuff throughout the process. And now they're aware of those things to be leery of moving forward. Like, oh, hey, some people don't always understand sliders or whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of making me realize, too, this is a really tight 12 weeks. Because at the same time that you're doing all this, you also have to teach them some tool, which is maybe a day for something like Sketch or Figma, maybe even a few hours. But if you're talking about like, oh, we're going to have a hi-fi prototype that you're going to put in front of users that they should be able to click on or tap around and have it perform animations and actions and like take them through a, a flow. That actually is probably several days of, or, or even a week maybe of learning a prototyping tool. And I don't know where you would slot that in. Maybe at the end? Like, oh, start with static mocks and then you show users like screens. Or you or or you click through prototypes, right? Yeah, with, exactly. you use your sketch click through prototype stuff. Okay. Start start click through and then maybe the
1: last thing is a hi fi with
0: a more advanced tool, or maybe... Would you even do a Hi-Fi prototype?
1: There will be a couple students in each class that will probably want to do that, and then I would let them, but I would not make it required. Okay. That's usually, you know, there's always a bell curve, right? Like, most students do what you ask. A couple don't do less than what you ask, and a couple do way more than what you ask, depending on the, on the yeah. class size.
0: Would you have a segment in the course for critiquing other people's work? Like, would you have a day where you throw up an existing product on the screen and say like let's talk about why this product works because I know that's a pretty common segment of product design interview loops is
1: product critique yeah so the way I was kind of thinking about this is a little bit from like a art history standpoint like you know if you're looking at an art history class like they show you here here is great art right these are the masters and here's why they're the masters look at look at the depth of the shadows here and look at the pose that this character is in it, it implies x y and z right look at these boards. Border radius, so so (laughs) soft. Exactly. Look, they they used smooth corners instead of rounded (laughs) corners. Do you see the super ellipse here? Yeah, but like, yeah, I think that's totally useful. Like, here, here's a great example. Things by cultured code, 2019. Yeah, and like, this is why it's great. And look what they do here. And here's here's how this transition works. And look at look at the relationship of this button to the action, etc.
0: Okay. So, but you wouldn't actually have the students
1: participate in that critique. Maybe. One thing I was thinking about is like for for the research, potentially, like I said, they could have other students conduct the research of their studies that they've outlined, but I'm thinking the participants could also be other members of the class, right? Oh. So not only are you seeing... It's so easy to see the flaws in other people's work, and eventually you get so deep in the weeds on your own work that you can't see its own flaws, right? Mm -hmm. And then you you have a built-in resource for all the participants that you'd have to go find, so... I think that could work really well. So you can teach the students, not only have you had to go through your own trials and tribulations creating this thing, and somebody else is ripping your thing apart in another study, but now you're having to participate in several studies and see what other people have done, see their mistakes, maybe get some ideas from what they've done um, about how you could make your stuff better. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I don't know. Just thoughts. Just thoughts. And again, we have like an hour to prepare for this, so we're making the same mistake that we made with the uh, Figma redesign thing, but I don't know. Hopefully these are good ideas. Yeah,
0: well, I'll, I'll try and keep asking more questions. So I, I have a couple more. For your hypothetical classroom, would you have them redesign an existing app? Would you have them come up with a problem that they experienced in their own lives and design an app to solve that? Or would you do something
1: else? Uh, probably something different. So I, I would have I, I would create a list of like five to 10 example problems that they could choose from. So something that doesn't have a whole lot of precedent, right? So they can't go and look at, you know, it's like, not like design a video app and like, they just go look at YouTube or yeah. design, you know, design a picture sharing app and they just go look at Instagram, right? Make it you know, something that's kind of vague and there isn't a whole lot of precedent for, I don't have a good example of that. And I'm not going to try, but uh, that would be the bounds. And uh, yeah, I would give them several options to choose from with a wide variety of different focuses, like maybe one based on animals, one based on people, one based on some sort of like physical product, maybe another one focused on transportation or something like that. But give them a wide variety and uh, let them choose and not necessarily building a problem that they care about, because a lot of times... You're not necessarily working on something that you have a, a ton of affinity for. And and I think that helps with like, okay, you really need to go through this whole education process and, and uh, investigation. So yeah, I w- something different, I would say. Just a list and let them choose from that. That way nobody's being, n- nobody's really too close to the thing they're working on. They can kind of see it a little bit objectively. Okay. And then final one,
0: would you spend any time in that 12 weeks teaching things like interview skills or perhaps softer skills around like okay you're about to go into the workforce
1: here are some soft skills to think about as a designer Oof. would you spend any time on those i don't think so i would hope that there would be another class that would that would be <laughs> cl- closer to graduation one-on-ones down the hall yeah i mean that would be i would imagine there would be some sort of like you know final project class that would include no this isn't like a college think of this as like a boot camp so this is a 12-week course oh, and that's shit. it Yeah, Uh, I mean, you could spend 12 weeks on soft skills and interviewing stuff alone.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the problem of this whole whole statement is like this is a 12 week boot camp. Somebody comes in not knowing anything about design. I mean, I guess we're assuming they're young. They they could be a professional though, like existing professional that wants to switch industries. Yeah. So maybe it's a case by case thing.
1: I wouldn't spend too much time on soft skills, although I think the structure of the class as I've outlined it is such that it would kind of prepare you for a design exercise that you would encounter at a normal design-focused company, right? Yeah, and the critique skills, taking feedback. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. You'll you'll have familiarity with the whole research process and dealing with iterations based on feedback that you didn't give you know things that you didn't notice were bad something somebody else noticed was bad and now you have to fix it yeah all, all of that i think is far more valuable than like having a good resume but and and you can learn that shit from other people you know it's it's not necessary if this is design focused i would focus on design cool well i think that was
0: useful i hope it was this person who i've been dming with uh i hope they listen and send us back what they thought if listeners, if, if you're thinking something that we didn't say out loud, like what would you teach to a new designer in their first twelve weeks as a designer? Yeah, what would you do? What would you do? You should tweet at us or DM us and we can call those out and follow up next Because 'cause I'm
1: stupid and I thought about it for like an hour. <laughs> so you yeah. could probably come up with something better than me. I've never taught, so I'm not gonna pretend I know what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough job, man. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot I mean, of work. I mean
0: just thinking through all like the volume of things I'd want to talk about. Uh yeah. I guess at the end of the day, it's just like get people into the trenches <laughs> as soon as possible. And I think yours does that fairly well. It's like three weeks in. All right, let's do it. Let's
1: start putting the principles to work. Here's all the stuff and why. That's the first chunk. And then like, okay, apply it the way you think it should be applied the second chunk and the third chunk is you applied it wrong here's here's what other people are (laughs) going to do and here's how to here's how to make sure you apply it correctly
0: cool well let us know dear listeners what we missed tweet at us we're design details fm or or send marshall or I a dm and we'll be sure to call that out in next week's follow-up slip into our
1: dms slip into our dms and by default if you uh if you say something in dms Uh, Let us know if you're okay with your name being said. Uh, Otherwise, we will assume you are anonymous. Yes. Cool. Well, I think that's it, Marshall. We had the two listener questions this week. All right. Let's do cool things. I went first last week. So I will go first this week. Okay. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. As I alluded to in the intro, I have some extra space pause cool things this week. So (laughs) typically, I recommend a channel or a series of videos from a specific channel. This week, I'm going to recommend a genre. Ah. Which is one of my favorite genres of YouTube videos. And I don't know if it has a name, but the way I would describe it is experts reviewing Hollywood versions of their expertise, if that makes sense. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, for example... And for all these examples that I'm going to give, I will create a playlist on YouTube and link it in the show notes and you can check out, I'll put like one video from each channel that I'm going to call out, but you can like dive deep because they have a lot more content where that came from. So for example, there's a channel I I watch called Legal Eagle, where the guy reviews, uh, he's a lawyer, obviously, (laughs) based on Legal Eagle, he's a lawyer and he reviews movies and TV shows that are based on lawyers. So Law & Order and Suits. One of my favorite ones, the one I'm going to put into the playlist, is he reviews My Cousin Vinny, which is a, um, a courtroom movie starring uh, Joe Pesci, which is excellent. Uh, really good. I have not seen this, but okay. And the kid from Karate Kid. It's a great movie, and he reviews it really well. It's, it's nice to see him go through and pause. And so, so the format of all these videos is like they watch a little bit, they pause, and then they talk about what they just saw. If something was correct, they call it out as being correct and why. If it's incorrect, they do the same thing and why. So you kind of get to watch walk, walk through and see it through their eyes. So that's a, a lawyer example. There's another one called Dr. Mike. He's a doctor, obviously, and he reviews the same thing. So he'll watch like House M.D. and Grey's Anatomy and review like the, the first episodes of all these shows and give them. And usually they give them a score at the end of like, you know, how well they did. Is this a 10 out of 10? Did they do they get some stuff wrong? Did they get some stuff right? Another example, this is my favorite, and I'll have more. I'm just going to use these three. But my favorite is this guy. He's a linguist, and he he works with actors. So so if an actor is working on a movie and they need to use a specific accent, the studio will hire this guy to come in and work with the actor and get their dialect perfect. And so he goes through looking at different scenes in movies and rates each of those scenes Um, And there's a few different videos of this. So it's like a a ton of content of him going through and being like, yeah, that's not right. They should have rolled the R there or, you know, and and there's even one video by him uh, where he goes through fantasy languages and he talks about the different mouth shapes that Dothraki has. Oh, yeah. I was going to
0: say, does he do Game of Thrones? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he covers seven. Yep. High Valyrian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah and and like I fucking love language and his description he describes there there are like characters for each of these sounds right like like a schwa like the upside down e is like a uh sound right there's a character like that for every sound your mouth can make you know so sh obviously is sh but then zh is zh, right and there's some really fucking crazy ones like there's a kind of a sound like a tl sound so imagine trying to say a t and an l at the same time that has a thing like that's a that's a sound in some languages <laughs> or like like k- k- that's a sound k- like at the beginning of saying cute cute right that's a that's its own little sound or these like plosives like like uh normally you would say t right t yeah but without any air behind it it's just like the mouth uh, the air that you have in your mouth so t- Right Those kind of sounds they, those have their own thing I find all this stuff fucking fascinating. Oh, watch wow. these videos yeah. really, really, really cool. They even have there's a video of the guy who came up with these languages. They put out for Game of Thrones specifically they did a contest where they had a bunch of people come up with like what their version of Dothraki would be. There's only a couple words in the actual source text from the books to, to go off of. It's like, okay, create a whole language and a bunch of people applied and this guy won. And now he's the guy who writes all the text. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, or not Lord of the Rings, uh, for Game of Thrones. Yep. Cool. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. I love this shit. So I'll have a whole playlist of all these things. Yeah, basically experts reviewing their expertise.
0: I want to see one for programmers slash hacker. I'm assuming someone like an astrophysicist did interstellar i'm assuming that's one
1: yeah there's there's some like that there's a channel called corridor crew and they do visual effects so they'll, they'll it's like three guys sitting on a couch and they review uh, visual effects from trailers and movies and stuff and, and they'll talk you through like why this particular specular lighting was incorrect based on where the position of the lights are and the sun and the bounce lighting and all this it's really interesting wow mm. yeah. okay bunch of those check out show notes it's a youtube playlist and and i'll one video from each but feel free to dive deep on all of them because there's a ton of cool shit yeah in each. the rabbit hole sounds wide and deep mm-hmm. yeah i'm just giving you a vertical slice but there's plenty to, to, to go on from there oh my gosh lots of cool things what's your cool thing brian well, I have a singular cool thing.
0: Uh, I was just going to call out I saw John Wick chapter three last Friday.
1: Oh, yeah. I want to say I haven't seen it yet. No spoilers. Don't worry, listener. Yeah,
0: yeah. Dear listener, no spoilers here. The reason I'm calling it out as a cool thing is because I recently became aware of people in my life who have not yet partaken in the John Wick cinematic universe. Ouch. Which is fine. I can understand it's not for everybody, but for people who have thought it was or never really got around to watching it, I just wanted to highlight this is a very fun, it's a very just pure fun, pure action series. Like there's not plot, it's not really plot driven, although I guess two and three get more into the plot. But if you're starting from scratch, think of this as I want to go watch people get punched and people punch other people.
1: Uh, it's a little bit more gory than just punching. <laughs> this is a shooting. Okay, blood spatter. Guns, punches, and cars.
0: Like If those things sound appealing to you. It's sort of like I've been thinking about Patrick H. Willems, who's another YouTube creator that we called out on the show a while back. He made a video about Fast and the Furious, and he made me really think of Fast and the Furious series differently because he had so much fun reviewing how ridiculous they are and I think if you go into the John Wick series of films just thinking, like, I'm ready to see some ridiculous shit, it makes the viewing experience much better than going in and thinking, I want to see some realistic fight scenes. <laughs> like
1: It's a comic book. Yeah, You're watching a live-action moving comic book. Yes.
0: So anyways, I, I saw Chapter 3. It was very fun. They are continuing to push the fun boundaries. And uh, for people who are John Wick curious... I recommend it.
1: I, I want to call out something. This I'll probably put this in the show notes. Have you seen Brian? Have you seen Keanu Reeves's training, like behind-the-scenes footage of him at the shooting? I have. Yeah, yeah. Range, range, range. Shooting range. There yeah. you go. It Shows how much gun, gun knowledge <laughs> Marshall I have. and I know all about guns. <laughs> well, you know, my so I'm not, I don't like guns very much. I'm not a fan of gun violence in general. So I think that's pretty reasonable position but uh i do i have fired lots and lots of guns that were zeros and ones and i've seen lots of guns on on film right so i'm I'm okay with it in that context right but it's fucking fascinating to me to watch keanu be like the badass that he looks like on screen like he went through training and and you could, i'll put this video on the show notes his his ability to like quickly fire and move on through this little training course is scary scary fucking good he's amazing and like it's not it's not just editing those long shots you can't you can't lie
0: and the thing is over the series of the three movies they continue to emphasize how good he is at these things Mm -hmm. and i did a
1: quick and he's like 50 he's like 50 something yeah right super old well that's not that old he's he's a grandpa essentially too old to be rolling around Shooting guns. Seeing the
0: things he do makes my lower back hurt. <laughs> yeah. However, so before I went and saw Chapter Three, I I did a quick skim of his late night appearances because you know whenever a new movie comes out, the same actor goes and answers everyone's questions. And he did say that ninety percent of the action is him. Like he does everything in the movies. I believe it. He said, "Yeah, you, the one that I remember is he says." Uh, You know, if there's a a big fight scene and people are getting punched and there's like all this choreography, that's all me. And then if at the end of that fight scene, John Wick gets hit by a car, I'll bring in a professional to get hit
1: by the car. (laughs) Everything else (laughs) is me. Oh my God, this guy's amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of Keanu Reeves just in general. Like, are you familiar with his philanthropy and charity? Uh, no. The guy, like, he donated most of his salary, like, millions of dollars from The Matrix to the visual effects artists who are working on it and put so much effort into it. Like, he gives away a ton of money. He's super selfless. The guy's amazing. But, you know, what's interesting is for John Wick, the first one, they have all these, like, great long one one-take shots where it's just, like crazy choreography and the camera just never cuts. And you can see it's Keanu. You see it's his face. It's not a replacement. It's not a stunt double, right? It's him. Seems like a really cool choice they made. It's not a choice they made on, on purpose. They are forced into it because they didn't have the budget on the first movie. Oh, really? They didn't have the cameras or the film to do more than like, you know, single takes. They had to do that, right? They'd have stuntmen. They didn't have enough stuntmen. So they'd have stuntmen like die, and then the camera would pan, and then they'd run in as a different stuntman, <laughs> like as a different goon as a to different get killed goon, by yeah, John yeah. again, right? Oh, hilarious. Yeah, super interesting. So a lot of like the, the things that make John Wick movies so cool are constraints that they had to deal with, which I, I find really not only interesting but also inspiring. Yeah, there we go. Tie it back to design. Yep. try to cool. Look at that segue. All right, uh, that's the end of the show. That's <laughs> the end of the show. Go go.
0: See yourself a film, and when you're not seeing a film, watch YouTube. <laughs> we have plenty of entertainment prepared for Spend you. Spend hours and hours on YouTube watching my, my <laughs> recommendations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at design Details FM. We especially want to hear your feedback on our listener questions. Particularly, uh, if you yourself had 12 weeks to spend with someone brand new to design, what would you teach them? Let us know. We're on Twitter, Design Details FM, or just shoot Marshall and I a DM. In the meantime, if you're in New York or on the East Coast on June 6th, 2019, come hang out at the Dribbble Hangtime One Day Conference. It's going to be more than 25 talks, workshops, and intimate conversations at the Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom. Again, that's June 6th, 2019. Tickets are available at dribble.com slash hangtimes, plural, slash 2019. And if you use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS, you'll save $100 U.S. on that ticket price. Again, that's dribble.com slash hangtimes slash 2019. And if you cannot afford a ticket and, and still want to go, send us a DM on Twitter to the Design Details FM Twitter account. Uh, we have one ticket from the Dribble team to give away to somebody who's unable to afford to go. We would love to help you out. So just shoot us a DM with what you're excited to learn at the conference, and we'll be picking the recipient of that free ticket on Friday, May 31st until june 6th if you need more podcasts for your ears or i guess until our next episode and then june 6th uh (laughs) and you need more podcasts for your ears go to spec.fm spec is the podcast network that design details is on is where there are shows for designers and developers just like you many of which are produced by our producers and editors and masters sarah and drew so thank you again sarah and drew for another week another episode more of their work lives on at spec.fm go check out layout with rafa and kevin if you are itching for another design podcast uh, otherwise just poke around uh, the specfm site for lots of resources for designers and developers just like
1: you i think that's it another week another week another episode i can hear that uh background music fading up right now brian
0: uh, da, 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 da. is that how it goes da, 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 da. yeah okay
1: Sure, I'll trust you. All right. I thought you were starting, like, start spreading the news. Start
0: (laughs) spreading the news. No. Yeah.
1: I got you singing unrecorded. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Keep it in, Drew. Keep that shit in. (laughs) Good episode, Brian. Good episode. Until next week, Marshall. Bye. Is there a fire near yeah. you yeah there's a fire truck once i there. can very much hear it i don't know if you want to wait a minute oh wait
0: ah the lovely sounds of new york city <laughs> new york city where everything's on fire all the time i love waking up to them alarms and sirens every morning city never sleeps mostly because it's on fire <laughs> <laughs> seriously <laughs> somebody should investigate where all these fires are getting started from